welcome everyone who's here for the first time to uh, join us in worship. Um, happy Chinese New Year again. Uh, we're starting a new sermon series called GPS, Finding Our Place in God's Story. Uh, I want to begin by sharing with you one of the things I love the most to eat, that is, is a nice, warm, chewy piece of ch- uh, cookie. So, for example, I have one right here. It's not quite warm, but it's very chewy and is very delicious. My gracious wife, I bake all of these for everyone here. So on your way out, you can all get one, okay? Uh, so as long as you have no allergy to chocolate, okay, chocolate or egg, then you're welcome to get one at the back on the way out. So don't rush there now. But the reason I want to share with you is this. Cookies actually is not that difficult to make. So I need a couple of volunteers up here. So, okay, so uh, can I get someone? Uh, let's see. Senhao, come on up. So it takes just several ingredients to make cookies. One of the which is you need butter. So can you stand in here? Turn around and hold it, please. Butter. Don't squish it. It's melted, okay? It'll get all over you. We also, uh, Sam, come on up. We also need some flour. Come on up, Sam. You can stand right in front of you. Okay, thank you. My junior high boys. Then we also need some brown sugar. Come on up. Brown sugar. Kevin, thank you. You can stand over there. Stand in front, guys. And then we also need some chocolate to make chocolate chips cookie. You want to come on? You want to come on? Come on up. All right, Eddie, come on up. Beyond just chocolate chip, stand up in front here, guys. We also need some baking soda. Eddie, come on up. Stand down here, guys. I got my whole small group helping me. Thank you, guys. And also, we need... Sammy, come down. Stop stealing my cookie. We also need some... White sugar as well. Not only brown sugar. Let's see. Uh, John, come on up, John. Come on, John. Now, hold it. Don't, don't break it, guys. Hold it. And last and certainly but not least, we need an egg or multiple eggs. So, Nathan, come on up. Be careful. This is a real egg. You can break it. And don't, don't crush it, okay? So, now, all you need to do is when you mix these ingredients together and then in the magic of oven, you put it in under a certain amount of time, you know what happens? The magic happens in the oven. I don't know what it is. It heats it up. It binds it together. And at the end of that time, then you start smelling what? Really delicious cookies. And then afterwards, when all these ingredients mix together, you smell that cookie. When it's done, it's nice and soft, and you put it in your mouth. That is where the legit cookies happen. And why did I share with you about this? Because I think a lot of times when we read the Bible, we are not eating the cookies. What happens is a lot of times we are just eating the ingredients. See, cookies are made of all these ingredients, but there's something magical happening when the cookies combine together as one. And so let me ask you guys this. Would you guys like to eat the individual ingredients? You might, right? Because notice the person who said yes is because the person who's holding what? The chocolate. (laughs) Now let me ask Nathan over here who is holding a raw egg. Nathan, would you like your your, uh, individual ingredient? No, right? So all of us would rather have the nice, warm, chewy cookie instead of the individual ingredient. But here's the problem for many of us. Hey, guys, thank you. Let's give them a hand. You can put the ingredient back here. Or you can keep it if you would like. You can keep it if you want. doesn't matter to me. Have a seat. Have a seat. Have a seat. Okay, so, but here's the thing, though. Like, I think many of us approach the Bible like that. See, some of us approach the Bible by eating individual ingredients. So sometimes, if we're lucky, we hit the part of the Bible that is like chocolate chips. 
It's like, man, New Testament, good, man. Chewable, edible, easy to eat. He's easy to enjoy, man. Paul's letter is so easy. I can apply right away. And so we take that, and as such, it's like chocolate chip cookie. I love the Bible only in those short letters and short passages. But then sometimes we hit up that flower. Man, that Old Testament prophet, especially those major ones, they're super long. They're dry in your mouth. You take it a few times. After that, you're like, man, the Bible is so boring. I don't want to read that anymore. It's dry. It's tasteless. It has nothing to do with my life. But little do we know that that flour is what binds the cookie together and it becomes part of this yummy, delicious cookies. And so for many of us, that's how we approach the Bible. We read the Bible by eating bits and pieces of the ingredient instead of eating it as a whole. And this is the reason why we are going through this series, because for many of us, far too long we are approaching the Bible like bits and pieces of individual ingredients instead of one big cookie, one unified story. You see, the Bible was not written as 66 individual. It was written in 66 books of the Bible, 35 authors, 4,000 years to write the whole thing. But here's the thing. It's not meant to read like individual books of the Bible. It is meant to read as one big story. One story with one theme and one story pot. plot. I know many of us like to watch movies, watch TV shows, read novels. I want to tell you every single... I'm going to spoil... I'm going to stop my sermon real quick right here. If you guys cannot behave, then I'm going to have you ask to walk out of here, okay? The Bible is one story with one plot line. And that plot line, that storyline, that meta narrative is the same for what you're watching at home. I want you to think of your favorite show right now. Don't yell out. Favorite show, favorite movie, favorite novel, whatever it is. Have it in your mind. And I can guarantee you that movie, that show, that novel that you're reading falls into these four uh, plot lines that we have. It has the creation, it has the fall, it has a redemption story of it, uh, element to it, and it has the restoration. Let me give you an example. Whatever that movie you're thinking, I guarantee you from the beginning of that story, something was nice, normal, and good. It can be a movie about one big happy family opening scene. Everyone's having dinner together. We're all excited. We're, we greet each other. It might be a, 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 a movie, a, a TV show where a loving couple just got married. They're going on their honeymoon. Or the earth was safe and thriving. That's the creation. That's what it was perfect, how it meant to be. And you feel like, man, this gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling. That's how I want the world to be. Then here comes the fall of your movie. The fall of your TV show. That loving family, all of a sudden, someone got sick in that family. That perfect family enjoying food together, someone got terminal cancer. That loving couple that were going on honeymoon, fast forward a few years, so, uh, the husband started having an affair with someone at work. The villain shows up in this world, in this perfect world. And rob and start destroying, affecting this perfect world that we're supposed to live in. Every superhero story starts with that. There's a creation, a perfect good world. Then there's a villain. There's a fall. There's something broken. And then it goes to the redemption. That's where your story and your, your movie and your TV show tells you the, the novel that you're reading. There is a redemption happening. Someone came to fix that problem. 
maybe somehow, somehow it was the 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 the, the doctor has healed and 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 healed that person with terminal six. Maybe somehow the family reunite and the wife forgave the husband. Maybe some other the superhero sacrificed what he likes to do and it saved the world. And then it leads to the last part. That every story ends on a good part because we all like a good ending, right? And so it ends on that maybe the family once again reunited together. That the dad, uh, the, the person who was saying now are back home recovering, everything is well. The family that was broken now is combined together. And now the villain is destroyed and the su- superhero is being, is being celebrated. Every story follows this plot line. I can tell you on a 30-minute show at 25-minute that's where you start resolving the problem, and you, you can guarantee it when you get around that time, you can fast forward to there. That's where the redemption happened, the happy scene happens in within five minutes. That's how every story, and the reason why every story is like that is because that's the story of our life. That is the story of Scripture. That is the story of the Bible. And that's what we're going to go through for the next few weeks. This four-part, this framework of the story, how the Bible tells us something, what it was supposed to be. It was perfect. It was good. But something happened, something that's broken. And then there's something that needs to be uh, redeemed, something needs to be fixing the problem. And finally, the happy ending that we all long to hear and watch and read. It is important for us to know the story because we live by stories. This is the reason why we went through the last series of Redeem the Screen, because whatever story that you listen to shape your life, we are addicted to stories. We spend time watching it because it hits a chord in our hearts. Man, we want to see that couple get together. We want to help see that family reunite. Stories shape our life. It touch a, a give us hope to what it is supposed to, what we're looking forward to. And when we start listening to the wrong stories, we start giving hope to something that is not real. So, for example, if your creation, your perfect world, that you, the story of your perfect world is to be married and have kids, then you will start looking for redemption. And my life is all about fixing that problem when I don't have a wife or when I don't have a kid. See, whatever story that we are accustomed to will start shaping the way we live. If your story says my perfect life is to have thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, and I would never have to work one more day, then that is the redemption that you're looking forward to. Let me work so hard that so that I can get to that place, and that will be the restoration you're looking for. But here's the thing, the Bible tells us there's something deeper than what we're looking for. When you don't have the story of God in your life, you will start selling for lesser stories of this world. And so there are two goals for us this, this series. There's two things I want to accomplish here. One is for us, Christians or not, to know the story of God from the Bible. Way too much, we start breaking this in, the, in parts and kind of what Kevin shared in the announcement. That we have no context of what this story is about. So we just open and go, well, let me open here. And that part happened to be the flour that I'm eating. It's dry. It's nasty. Maybe eating baking soda. Maybe the raw egg. Whatever it is. And we start thinking, man, this book has nothing to do with my life. I want to re- re-engage with us once again the, bo- the story of the Bible. Here's the second thing I want you to do. I want us to get out of this. is we, I want to help you to find your place in this story. Because this story is not complete without you in a part of this story. Because that is the story of God that includes us 
as we will see shortly. So here's what we're going to do for the next six weeks, including today. We will break this down into six parts. Earlier I said there are four parts. Basically the middle three parts is the redemption part. We're going to take a look at this. I'm going to do a quick sprint of the entire Bible. I know it's not possible. I'm not going to read every passage. I'm not going to read every verse. So for the first two, it's going to be easy. We're going to focus on Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Next week, we're going to go Genesis 3. But then in the middle of that, we're going to blitz through a lot of ground in the Bible. I will just highlight a few verses for you. So I want to encourage you to start reading the Bible. I'll give you some passages you can read. You can clue yourself in. I will tell the story like I would tell the story to my kids. And hopefully give you a big picture of what it is. But more beyond just knowing the story, I want you to start reflecting two questions. One is this. Who do we see God as in these stories? Who do we see God as this one big story? And and if God is real, as he said in the Bible, then how do we need to respond? Where am I in this picture? Where am I in this big story? And I believe unless we find our place in God's story, your story will never be complete. But we'll continue to drift and settle for the stories of this world because we're made for God's story. So that's what we're going to do. Today we're going to open up the, the story of God in the first act. The first act is called creation. Creation. From the very beginning, God created. I want to tell you this story because the story, the story starts with not you, not me, but the story starts with God. The story opens up with this main character, God, who is perfect in every way, perfect in character. He's loving. He's all-knowing. In fact, the Bible, the story of God tells us that he is good, right, and perfect. He is holy. And when God was forming the foundations of the earth, he created angels to sing songs, to worship. But somewhere along the way, as in the midst of his creating the foundations of the world, these angels start rebelling against God. Sin entered into, into their lives, and they want to become God themselves. And since God lives in this perfect place, God is perfect. He cannot allow sin. And so what happened is he cast these angels, beautiful angels, into the world to be punished one day. And as such, God also created another group of beings. And that group of being is called human. God had this human in mind that he was going to create. So he continued to, to build this world, this earth, to prepare this place to put human to live in. And as he's creating this, the spirit of God moved all over this empty space. The first thing God created was light. He separated light from darkness. So this world would fill with light during times of darkness. He divided the oceans into the sky, from the skies. There is the ocean at the bottom and the skies on top. He gathered water so that it would not be only water, but there would also be dry land. God also created these plants, these trees, these flowers that somehow can bear seed that they can reproduce themselves over and over again. But not only that, he also created the sun, the moon, and the star. He set season into motion. He set time into motion. Literally, the clocks start ticking. There are things going on. But, but not, not only is there plants, not there, there's sun, moon, and star. God also filled the sea with fish. He filled the sky with birds. He filled the earth with animals. And after all of that, God said, this is good. Now this place 
is perfect and good for the human that I'm about to create. And on the sixth day, God created in his own image a human being. He took up the dirt from the ground. He molded together and he started breathing the breath of God into this dirt, that's lifeless dirt ball. And God breathed life into what was a, a, a ball of dirt becomes a human being. And his name will be called Adam. And later on, God said it's not enough that Adam is by himself. He created out of the ribs of Adam, Eve. Supposed to be a, 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 a supporter, supposed to be a care, a helper for Adam. And God created both man and woman together in his own image. And God blessed them to have the ability to multiply, to reproduce, to continue to produce more human being. But God did not just create them to do nothing. God actually gave them a job description. God said, you are now to be fruitful. You are to multiply. You are to fill the earth. You are to have dominion and subdue the earth. You are to take care of this earth, that beautiful, perfect earth that I have created for you. And then after he created these two human beings, God took them in the middle of this garden. The Garden of Eden. Beautiful place. This is the place where life really is supposed to be like. This is the dream vacation that we all wish to have, but beyond it, even greater. And in that garden... There were two trees. There's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And there's also a tree of life. And God gave them specific instructions that you, Adam and Eve, can eat from every tree. You can eat from every fruit, of the, from every tree, except one. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God warned them that if they ever get the fruit and eat from that tree, they will surely die. Every day God will spend time with Adam and Eve. He will walk with them in the cool of the day. God will teach him how to live the perfect life, to be obedient to God, to follow God, to fulfill the work that God has called them to do. It was what life meant to be. And at the end of that, God looked at Adam and Eve and all the earth, all of his creation, and he said, this is very good. And as such, he, after all that creation, he set aside one day, to rest. One day to set apart and no work for his creation, no work for his own. He set apart one day and to enjoy all of his creation. So that is the first act. That is the first story of our of the Bible. And I want you to notice. I think many times we make the mistake of thinking this story, the main character is us. But I want to tell you. The main story, the main person, the main character of this story is not us. It's actually God. There are three things we see from God here. The first one from the very beginning, the first verse of the Bible. It says this, in the beginning, God created. I want to point out to you three things that we see about this main character of the story. The first thing it says that God exists eternally. That God has always been there before time. That before anything happens, God has always been there. God exists. No one created God. God has always been there above, beyond time. In the beginning. So when God created the earth, there was something before that. And there's no time, no sense of time. God exists forever and eternally. 
And it was out of his pleasure that in the beginning of the earth time, he created things. So God is so much beyond, which leads to our second thing is this, that in the beginning, God, this God is unlike anyone or anything that we can fathom and know. I think we use the word God very easily. Sometimes we use it in a very negative way. But God exists unlike anyone or anything in this world. Psalms 86 verse 8 says this, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, are, nor are there any work like yours. He is all powerful. He's all no. He's all holy. He's all just. I want you, you cannot see it in English, but in the very first uh, verse here, in verse 1, the word God is by the Hebrew name Elohim. Say to your neighbor, Elohim. Now you know some Hebrew. So Elohim is just a generic word for God, kind of like what we use for English, God. A generic God that back in the ancient Near East, people would use that word to communicate divine, supernatural being. But here's the problem. Many of them don't see that being as one, the only supernatural, high, divine being. But in Scripture, we see this as God as being the only one that's unlike anyone, anything on earth. But this God is not just some God. He is, not, he is the God. And beyond that, this God actually wants something to do with you and I. Because later on in Genesis chapter 2, though again in English, in verse 4, in English you will see the word God. In chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, that these are the generations of heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Here's the distinction. The word Lord God is not just the word Elohim. It's actually have the word Yahweh Elohim. And this word Yahweh is a big deal because this word is the literal name of God. Think of it this way. You can say I'm a person and wouldn't put a face on you. But the moment I said you, you, I use my name Ben, it might mean some to you. It might conjure up a certain image of who I am to you depending on our relationship. It may be a negative one if I'm not nice to you or a really good one if I happen to be really nice to you. This is the image that God gave us. He's not just some God out there that created and just dump it and let it run. But he is this Yahweh personal God, Lord God. In fact, in Exodus, we'll see later, the name that he called himself, I am who I am, is from this word Yahweh. He is a personal God that wants to interact with his creation. He longs to be with his creation. And here's why. This story starts out with that because God wanted to make sure that the people in this world knows that he's not just some generic God like every other God, lowercase g. But he is the uppercase, the God, the God that's unlike anyone. And I want to encourage you. If you just get this truth in your head and wrap your head around this, then all of a sudden your life will change drastically. Because if this God is that high, almighty God of all gods, then he deserves certain respect and love and all from us. It will change the way we start living our lives because he's not just some God can push away or put in a closet and hide from, but he's this real God that oversees all. He's the God who created us, which leads us to the third thing we know about God from here, that at the beginning, God, Elohim, created created you, you see many times we walk around with our phones we're amazed not a creation we're amazed at intervention 
Have you ever thought about this? No one ever created anything. Everything that's invented is using somebody else's invention. It builds off one generation from another. If there's no discovery of electricity, there's no iPhone today. But yet we are marvel at the, inner, in the, in the invention that we see by human being. And yet God, in this first chapter, tells us he created something out of nothing. He breathed and give life. Many of you know we have, we, we have several sons in our house. And I don't think, I, I, I would bet that my wife, would wish that giving birth would, that easy, would be that easy. Just breathe and then the suns will come out. Man, it's painful. Those of you who are moms, you know. But God breathed and God spoke into creation. So let there be, boom, there's something. And here's really important. If he is the creator as he claimed to be, and we really believe he's created, what that means is that everything he created belongs to him. That everything on earth, including you and I, we are subject to his kingdom. I want to keep that thought in mind because later on when we talk about redemption, this is the reason why Jesus say when he came on earth to preach the good news, the first thing he said was this, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. See, your salvation, my salvation is not just about saving us from hell. It is really about the king rightfully owning the kingdom and restoring that kingdom back to him and giving him the glory that he deserves. That's why we need to understand we're created being, we're not gods. And God is God and we're not, and which leads us now to ask ourselves, where do we stand? Where are we in this story? If God is this God who pre-exists, who, who exists eternally, God has no one like him, and he created all things, we're all subject to this king, then who we are in this story. Here's what, what I want to share with us. Here are three things I want you to know. The first thing is this, we are created and made by God. This is really important because I think particularly for those of us who are younger, not, exclu- not exclusively to you, but even for us who are older, but particularly for those who are younger, when you struggle to know who you are, you need to remember and know that this story tells us you are not just some accident. You are not just some mistakes made. You are not just some, some throwaway thing. that Even though may, you may feel like that way, even though people intend it to be that way, and unfortunately with brokenness of this world, some people do have children and they are, seem to be quote-unquote mistakes. But what we need to see is this God said you are never a mistake. You are beautifully, wonderfully, fearfully made because God created, he does not make mistakes. He is good. Everything he made is good, and what you think may be a mistake is never a mistake. And that's why the reason why you're special is not because you look special, not because you can be special. You are special because God made you. This creative, this creative God, this God of all power made you, the Bible tells us, in his image. You are made to image, to be like God, not to be God. But to be like God. How are we made to be like God? We're made to be like him. Like, like his character. Like his relationship. We literally 
in everything we do are imaging God. Which leads to the second one. We're not only made by God. We're made for God. God did not just make Adam and Eve and say, well, I made you now. You can do whatever you want. God gave them a specific job description. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it and have dominion over it. What he's doing is he's calling us to start living as image for him in this world. So whatever that you do, whether you're a student, stay-at-home mom, working professionals, daughter, son, grandparents, it doesn't matter what you do. Everything you do are to image, to reveal, to show, to demonstrate who God is. Everything that God had made, he meant for it to have to create the potential to develop, to mirror, to show the goodness of God. And so we can never just say, I just go to school. You cannot just come to church. You cannot just play video games. Because you're created for more. You're created to show the world that God is real. This Yahweh Elohim is real, and he is for the people who are lost as well. So we can never just say what we do doesn't matter. We are made for God. We're made to bring glory to God. Uh, I assume many of you probably don't know this person, but you know his father, Christopher Tolkien. Many of you know of his father because of the book that he wrote. J.R.R. Tolkien, right? The Lord of, Lord of the Ring. This past week, uh, Christopher has passed away in France. He is 95 years old. For many of us, we know of the books that his father had written. And the reason why I want to share with you about Christopher is because Christopher, if you know anything about him, he was actually the one finishing many of the books that were started by his father. He dedicated his whole life to be the image of his father. Because when he was young, he was so into the work of his father, you know, the Hobbit and all those Middle Earth and all the mythology that his father developed and talked to him about. He was so in love with it that he started writing and hearing and started thinking like his father. So when his father passed away, he decided, I will, I will commit my life to finish the work that my father has started. And so he spent his entire life Sounding like his father, writing like his father, finishing the book his father has started. And at the time, many in the academia, uh, in a, a university, accused him of, of kind of borrowing the glory of his father, taking advantage of it so that he can be popular, he can make money. But in reality, his heart was never to bring glory to himself. His heart is to bring glory to his father. And so that's what we are doing, brothers and sisters. We don't live for our own glory. And we're just imaging. We're just revealing. We're just continuing the story of what God has started in wherever God has placed you to play, to study, to work, to live in. We get to image. We get to show. We get to showcase who this God is to the world. We get to finish what he started. And he promised us that he's with us along the way. So not only we're made by God, we're made for God. Here's the last part. We are made with God. This is where we are in this story. We're made with God. Incredible picture of relationship that God has shown. Remember, he is this almighty God. He could have chosen to create Adam and Eve and leave them there. 
But we see from Genesis chapter 1, we see Genesis chapter 2, uh, two that God said, let us make man in our image. There is a, a relational aspect to God himself, three persons in one God. But not only that, don't quickly read through and pass by verse 28. He says, let, uh, he, he's, in verse 28, he says this, be fruitful. God spoke to Adam and Eve. And I wonder how many times as family we don't even speak to one another. We can sit on a table, have dinner, and be very quiet. Yet God chose to speak to his creative being. God longed to be with them. Psalm 27, 4, his prayer of uh, King David, he says this, One thing I ask of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Let me tell you this. This is not a verse about place. This is a verse about person. David did not want to be a temple because the temple is beautiful, because the temple is anything great. King David wanted to be in a temple because of the person of God. He wants to be with God because that's how we're created to be. And unless we have a relationship with him, we will never find satisfaction anywhere. This is why the gospel is important because we were all made, as we find out next week, with sin. We're made to have a, a DNA of being separated from God. But, in, but if we're really made to be with God, then there is something that needs to fix that problem. I was born to be far away from God. Something needs to happen to take that away so that I can be with God the way that I'm created to be. And this is also why for those of us who come to know Jesus, that you need to walk with Jesus every day. This is the reason why we need to spend time with him in the word. We spend time with him in prayer. This is the reason why you and I need to gather together, not just for one another, but as a church, as a body of Christ, that we are together with God together. This is why you come on Sunday. This is why you need to meet with one another outside of church. We are created to be with this God. But let's be honest. Many times we think that we have to be with this God. Instead of thinking, we get to be with this God. We get to be with this God. And here's why I want to challenge us as we set, set, set this first act up here in the Bible. God set the stage, show us what life ought to be, what life should be, the perfect world. As we will look quickly, the next act tells us something will be broken. So will you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your love for us. That God, we're not just some accident. We're not just some mistakes. That we're not just created to, to maintain life, to, to kind of drift through 60, 70, 80, even 100 years on this world and then become nothing. But that God, you have a purpose. God, you have given us an identity. You have given us reason to live because, God, you created us for yourself. So I just want to pray over every person here, including myself right now, Lord, that if we have any shred of doubt about our significance as a person, Lord, I pray you will fight for us. 
you will fight for us against those temptations, those lies that the enemy has upon us, that we're worthless, we're meaningless, our lives are meaningless, that there's nothing we can do right. Well, Lord, help us to believe that we've been made in the image, the image of God. The very image of who God is, the good, the ultimate definition of good and holy and loving. So, Lord, I pray every time we doubt this week, would you remind us that the voice of truth through the Holy Spirit speak to us, affirm us of who we are in Christ. So, Lord, be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.